Well, if we could uh, this evening, uh, for a short while, if we could turn to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're reading uh, from the beginning of the chapter. Matthew chapter 5, from the beginning. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he, that is Jesus, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. But particularly the words of verse 7 this evening. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. As you know, Jesus introduces his Sermon on the Mount with these nine Beatitudes. There are nine statements of blessing or there are nine benedictions of blessedness. And they appear as the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus seeks to teach us what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a citizen living within the kingdom of heaven and a child of our heavenly Father and also a disciple of Jesus Christ. But as we said before, in the Beatitudes, Jesus isn't telling us what we're to do as Christians, or even what we're to be as Christians. Rather, Jesus is telling us what we are as Christians. And what we are, says Jesus, what we are is blessed. We're blessed. As sinners who have entered the kingdom of heaven by faith, we're blessed. And as Paul says, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And because we're blessed... As Christians, as citizens of the kingdom, as children of our Heavenly Father, and as disciples of Jesus Christ, the outworking of our blessedness is that we are to possess and practice a Christ-like character, conduct, and conversation. And this is important because as Jesus introduces the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches us that in the kingdom of heaven, we need to be emptied before we are filled. We need to be emptied before we are filled because the gospel doesn't just add something something to what we already have. No, the gospel empties us of all that we are in order to fill us and to bless us with all that Jesus is. And that's why Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the beatitude, the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of 
of heaven. Jesus says it's only those who experience and encounter blessed poverty, those who are poor in spirit, those who are emptied of pride and emptied of self, Jesus says they will receive the kingdom of heaven. And then it's followed by the second beatitude. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because it's only those who truly mourn over their sin. And it's only those who truly mourn over their sin who will find comfort and consolation in the gospel. And from that, Jesus proceeds to the next beatitude. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Because it's only those who are emptied of their self-confidence and emptied of their self-assurance who will inherit the earth. And then as we saw last time, the result of such blessedness is that we receive blessed righteousness. We're declared righteous and we desire righteousness. Because as Jesus says in verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And you know, my Christian friend, as citizens of the kingdom, as children of our heavenly Father, and as disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus is teaching us from the outset of his Sermon on the Mount that the outworking of our blessedness is that we are to possess and practice blessed poverty, blessed mourning, blessed meekness, Blessed righteousness. And then tonight, blessed mercy. That's the fifth beatitude we see in verse 7. We're to possess and practice blessed mercy. We're to possess and practice blessed mercy. Because we have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. We have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. And there are our two simple headings this evening. Shown mercy and show mercy. Shown mercy and show mercy. Jesus says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now, Jesus introduces this beatitude by saying that as Christians... As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, as children of our heavenly Father, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are blessed. We are blessed. We've entered the kingdom of heaven by faith. We have submitted and surrendered our life under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We have come kneeling before King Jesus. Therefore, we are blessed. And as we've said many times before, the word blessed it literally means to kneel. And that's how we should read these verses, almost kneeling in our heart and mind, because it's the sense of kneeling before King Jesus, the image of King Jesus standing before his throne, and we are kneeling in his presence with our head bowed and our hand outstretched, and we are receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do not deserve. It's what we do not deserve. He's, he's blessing us, because blessing only comes to us from the gracious hand of King Jesus. And one such blessing we see in verse 7 is the blessing of blessed mercy. Blessed mercy. But the interesting thing about blessed mercy is that it's the opposite of receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do not deserve. 
You know, blessed mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. Blessed mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. And this is important to remember the difference between grace and mercy. Because grace is receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do not deserve. But mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. I'll say that again. Grace is receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do not deserve. But mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. Grace has been given that full and free gift from the hand of King Jesus. Grace is given to us. No strings are attached. There's no small print in writing. Grace is given, and it's given not because of who we are or what we have done. Grace is given not because of anything we have achieved or attained or accomplished in and of ourselves. No, grace is given by the gracious hand of King Jesus. It's given to us as a gift. It's given to us as a gift. And that's what Paul repeatedly emphasizes in his letters. You go to Ephesians 2 and Paul tells us that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. No, it's a gift from God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the free grace of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And even the Apostle John, you know, I love the way he describes it. He says that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he says that we have received grace upon grace upon grace. We have received from the hand of King Jesus something we do not deserve. King Jesus has given to us the gift of salvation and all that flows from that salvation. He has given to us the gift of election predestination, faith, repentance, justification, adoption, sanctification, perseverance, glorification, and the gift of eternal life. We have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, and we have received it in Christ, through Christ, and by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because as we said, grace is receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do not deserve. But mercy, mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. Mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. And as you know, my Christian friend, what we deserve for our sin and our rebellion against a holy God is his fierce anger, his full wrath, his final judgment, and the fires of hell. That's what we deserve. We deserve his fierce anger, his full wrath, his final judgment, and the fires of hell. We deserve eternal death. We deserve the pains and punishment of hell. And you know, when we have a perspective on who we really are and what we really deserve because of our sin. You know, it should actually make God's grace and God's mercy all the more sweeter. 
You know, that's how the psalmist depicted it and described it in Psalm 130. Because when the psalmist was crying in the depths of despair, he was aware, he was aware of the sinfulness of his own sin. That's why he said, Lord, from the depths to thee I cried. My voice, Lord, do thou hear. Unto my supplications voice, give an attentive ear. And the psalmist, he pleaded for grace to be given and for mercy to be granted. He pleaded for grace to be given and for mercy to be granted. And he went on to say, Lord, who shall stand? If thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity, but yet with thee forgiveness is that feared thou mayest be. The psalmist knew that if he were to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he would be convicted, condemned, and consigned to hell for all eternity. He knew that what he desired for his sin and his rebellion against a holy God was his fierce anger, his full wrath, his final judgment, and the fires of hell. He knew that what he deserved was eternal death. He knew that he deserved the pains and punishment of hell. Lord, who shall stand if thou, Lord, shouldst mark iniquity? And as you know, my friend, none of us could stand. No one could stand. And the psalmist knew that that's what he deserved. He knew that he deserved the the punishment and the pain of hell. He knew what he deserved. But look at what he discovered. But yet with thee forgiveness is that fear thou mayest be. But yet with thee forgiveness is that fear thou mayest be. The psalmist discovered that God was gracious and merciful because in God's character, God is gracious and merciful. You know, it's in God's character It's in God's character for grace to be given and mercy to be granted. And as we read in Exodus 33 and 34, that's what Moses discovered. Because the Lord declared to Moses, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. God's grace and God's mercy is not dependent upon who we are or what we've done or whether we are good or bad. No, the grace and mercy of God is completely dependent upon the character of God. That's why the Lord preached a sermon about himself on the top of Mount Sinai. That's what we read in in Exodus 34. The Lord preached a sermon to an audience of one, to Moses himself. It was a self-revelation where the Lord revealed that he is the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God's self-revelation, God's character is that he is gracious and he is merciful. In fact, it's based upon God's self-revelation of his character, that David writes in Psalm 103, and we'll sing it later on, the Lord our God is merciful, and he is gracious, long-suffering and slow to wrath, in mercy plenteous. My friend, God gives grace, and he grants mercy, because it's in his character to be merciful 
and gracious. And, you know, as we said, grace is, grace is receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do not deserve. But mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. But here's the point. As Christians, as citizens of the kingdom, as children of our heavenly Father, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. We have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. And this brings us to our second point. So there's shown mercy, that's us. We have been shown mercy. Then secondly, show mercy. Show mercy. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So in his beatitude, Jesus teaches us that as Christians, as citizens of the kingdom, as children of the heavenly father, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have been blessed. We're, we have received from the gracious hand of the king what we do not deserve. And what we have received is blessed mercy. But as we said, mercy is not receiving from the hand of King Jesus what we do deserve. And what we deserve is pain and punishment in hell. Therefore, Jesus teaches us that as those who have a great high priest, and as those who have encountered and experienced the throne of grace, and as those who have come to the mercy seat of God, and as those who have cried the prayer of the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner, we have received blessed mercy. We have received blessed mercy. Therefore, the outworking of our blessedness of what we have received, the outworking is that we are to possess and practice blessed mercy towards others. We are to possess and practice blessed mercy towards others. We have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. And you know, this is the greatest challenge because if God has graciously shown mercy toward us as hell-deserving sinners, then we should imitate and emulate his character in our character, conduct, and conversation. We should show mercy towards other people. And you know, I love this word, mercy, because it literally means compassion compassion. And as you know, there was no one more compassionate than Jesus Christ, because we're told so often that he moved with compassion. He moved with compassion. I'm sure I've told you before that I had a great auntie who lived next door to my parents in Melbost, and she had been a Christian for many years. And I went to visit her one night. She was quite unwell. And I went to visit her to have worship with her. And as I sat with her, she handed me her old, tattered Bible for me to read a passage with her. And as I turned the pages in the Gospels, I noticed that with yellow highlighter, she had highlighted all the times where it says, he moved with compassion. Jesus moved with compassion. And when I asked her about it, I said, what's this about? She said, and you know, I remember her turning to me saying, Murdo, Murdo, don't you just love that phrase? He moved with compassion. 
He moved with compassion. And you know, my Christian friend, don't you just love that phrase? He moved with compassion. Because, you know, that's the wonder and glory of the gospel, that Jesus Christ moves towards unwanted, unworthy, and even unwilling sinners. He moves with compassion. And we see it time and time again in the gospels, where Jesus, he moved with compassion towards the leper and the tax collector, towards the sick and the suffering, towards the deaf and the dying, towards the paralyzed and even the prostitute. Jesus moved with compassion towards the multitudes because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He moved with compassion because he is gracious. He's a gracious God. He's a compassionate Christ. He's a merciful Messiah. And you know, as Christians... As followers of the Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian. As followers of the Christ, that's who we are called, commissioned, and commanded to imitate and emulate in our character, conduct, and conversation. We're to show mercy because we ourselves have been shown mercy. We're to be gracious and compassionate because we ourselves have been shown grace grace and compassion. And, you know, this ought to confront and even challenge us about our approach and even our attitude towards worldly wisdom, godless gossip, revengeful retaliation. In fact, the same sentiment is taught in the following chapter, in chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. As you know, as we often say on the Lord's Day, Jesus has taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus teaches us to practice what we pray. We're to practice what we pray because as those who have been forgiven, we must therefore forgive others. Because as Jesus solemnly says at the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Jesus, he's very clear because he says that we must practice what we pray. Because we have been forgiven, therefore we must forgive others. But how many times must we forgive? Well, Peter asked that very question. And Jesus told him, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, there's to be no end to our forgiveness towards others because there is no end to God's forgiveness towards us. There is to be no end towards our forgiveness towards others because there is no end to God's forgiveness towards us. We have been shown forgiveness Therefore, we must also show forgiveness. And surely we can apply the same to what's been said here in verse 7 about mercy. We have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. We have been shown mercy. Therefore, we must show mercy. In fact, it was the late John Stott. He wrote in his commentary, He said, we cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent 
And we cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful towards the sins of others. Nothing proves more clearly that we have been forgiven than our own readiness to forgive. To forgive and to be forgiven, to show mercy and to receive mercy, these belong indissolubly, he says, together. To forgive and to be forgiven, to show mercy and to receive mercy. And you know, this is so important, not only as Christians in a congregation, but also as Christians within a community. Because, you know, far too often, far too often there are congregational clashes or there are community confrontations, there are family feuds over all sorts of things. And more often than not, in light of eternity, they are trivial and even tiny. In light of eternity, they are trivial and tiny. And yet these things can roll and rumble on for years and even decades. But it's all because some are not willing to forgive. Others are not willing to say sorry. No one is willing to say sorry. Sometimes it's the hardest word to say. But you know, as a minister, I'm often reminded of this when I stand over an open grave. You know, when it comes to congregational clashes and community confrontations and family feuds, and everybody has them, they're in every family. You know, it reminds me that life is too short for holding grudges and too short for keeping accounts with one another. You know, when it comes to congregational clashes, community confrontations, family feuds, life is too short for holding grudges and keeping accounts with one another. Life is too short for not saying sorry. And what Jesus is teaching us this evening is that as Christians, as citizens of the, of the kingdom of heaven, as children of our heavenly Father, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have been reminded and it's been reaffirmed to us this evening we have been shown mercy. Therefore, we ourselves must show mercy. We have been shown mercy. Therefore, we ourselves must show mercy. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And may the Lord bless these few thoughts to us. Now let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee for being so gracious towards us, giving to us what we do not deserve. And we thank Thee for being merciful, for not giving to us what we do deserve. And Lord, we know that we deserve Thy wrath and Thy curse. And Lord, we don't even realize how much we deserve it. We give thanks to Thee for even withholding that from us. But we do pray that we would imitate and emulate thy character. And Lord, that we would show mercy and grace towards others, those whom we come into contact with in our workplace, those in our homes and those in our family, those in our community, that we would do as Jesus teaches us, 
to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good work and glorify our Father in heaven. O Lord, help us to live in light of eternity, to see that our life it is but a vapor. We are only passing through, that this world is but for a moment. And help us then, we pray, or to live lives that bring glory to God, for that is our chief end, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Bless us, Lord, as thy people. Help us to be faithful. Help us to walk in the path of righteousness. Help us to keep looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. O Lord, forgive us when we stray. Forgive us when we speak out of turn. Forgive us, Lord, we ask for the things we do that we shouldn't do. O that thou wouldst cleanse us and create within us that clean heart and renew a right spirit within us all. For we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we're going to sing again uh, before the live stream comes to an end. We're going to sing this time in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is in the Scottish Psalter. It's on page 369. Psalm 103, we're singing from verse 8 down to the verse marked 13. And maybe uh, before uh, the live stream uh, goes off uh, this evening, I just want to encourage those who are at home uh, to maybe stop for a few moments and before you switch over to something else. Uh, to, to pray, to take time to pray. We'll continue praying here, but I'd encourage you uh, to pray at home. And pray for the things that I'm going to mention uh, for prayer here. Uh, pray first and foremost uh, for Katie Matheson. That's, uh, we give thanks to the Lord for uh, the treatment she's received and, and just give thanks to the Lord for his goodness uh, to them as a family and continue to remember the Matheson uh, family. Also remember, as uh, we often pray here, the praying for one another prayer notes that are sent out each week. Uh, pray this week. We've been encouraged to pray for Tarbert, uh, congregation in Argyll, uh, to pray for them during their vacancy. Uh, their interim moderator is Roger Crooks. He used to be the minister in Campbelltown, and he's just looking after them at present. So pray for the Tarbert congregation. Uh, you can pray for the Tarbert congregation in Harris as well, if you wish. Pray for the Knox uh, Church in Perth. That's where Paul Gibson is. Uh, Paul Gibson, you'll remember, he was the man who was meant to come for that communion a long time ago, uh, which he never came, and one day, God willing, we'll have him again. But pray for that congregation there as they seek to reach out in their community. Uh, they're in the center of, of Perth, or they're surrounded by houses, if you've ever been to the congregation. And so please pray for them as they try and make inroads. The other prayer point I was going to highlight to you, which is not on the, the list, is to pray for Gravar. As you know, I was in Gravar uh, two weekends ago, preaching at their communion, and they're hoping to start a Sunday school in November. So they don't have a Sunday school at present. They don't have any children in the congregation. And it reminds us that we should be so thankful that we have children in our congregation and we have a Sunday school and Sunday school teachers. But pray for Gravar as they start a Sunday school. I think it's on the 14th of November. I'll check with Ian about that. So pray for them as they start and as they invite the children from the school and the community uh, to come and as they make inroads in the community. So please pray for Gravar. So Tarbert, Perth, Gravar, and Katie Matheson. So just for those who are watching at home and those who will be asked to pray in a moment. So we're going to sing Psalm 103. At the end of the psalm, the live stream 
uh, will, will end. We're singing from verse 8 down to the verse marked 13. The Lord our God is merciful and he is gracious, long-suffering and slow to wrath, in mercy plenteous. We'll stand to sing if you're able to God's praise. Hello.